One of our permanent exhibits at the museum is called Woods and Waters. In this exhibit, we have a wolf. No, not a wolf that is alive. It is a taxidermied wolf. Have you ever heard the word taxidermy? Taxidermy is an art form that preserves the fur and skin of an animal by stuffing and placing it on a mount, creating an often lifelike version of the animal. This wolf isn't the only piece of taxidermy we have at the museum. It shares a big exhibit case with other taxidermied animals, like a beaver, raccoon, bobcat, and even a skunk. However, this wolf is probably the most unique piece of taxidermy we have. Allegedly, this wolf is the last known wolf to be found in the Adirondacks. But how could this be? How could this wolf we have at the museum possibly be the last wolf in the Adirondacks? On today's podcast episode, we're going to talk about wolves and their long and troubled relationship with people. And you'll find out the full backstory behind the supposed last wolf in the Adirondacks. Ready to earn some extra credit? This is Taylor. And Diane. And you are listening to 80K Extra Credit, a history podcast for students made by the Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake, located in the heart of the Adirondack Park of New York State. Today, it's hard for us to understand how people could have done things that would lead to the destruction of a species. Let's take a closer look at common beliefs of long ago. Before 1800, wolves could be found all over the world. Their habitat was huge, and there was a great many of them. Humans and wolves have been in competition for land and resources for a very long time. People that immigrated to this country brought their attitude and beliefs concerning wolves with them. You have heard of the big bad wolf from folk tales and fairy tales. Think of all the stories and books that have a wolf as the antagonist. Little Red Riding Hood, Peter and the Wolf, The Three Little Pigs. Those are just a few. Some of those stories are very old. They were intended as lessons about caution and wisdom. Wolves are described using terms that make us fearful. Mean, sneaky, ravenous, and savage. For many, those tales were all they knew about wolves. Even books about natural history that were intended as nonfiction descriptions of wild animals, had some of the same misinformation about these animals that were in the fiction stories. Many of the naturalists of long ago did not have the scientific background that naturalists and biologists do today. And here are some of the common beliefs about wolves that were believed to be true. One, wolf packs are huge. They will have 40 to 50 members. Two, wolves hunt for sport. They will kill an entire herd just because they can and only eat one animal. And three, wolves will turn on their own if they scent weakness. That's terrifying. Imagine moving to a home located deep in a forest, far from a city and other people, when those are the things that you believe about your natural neighbors. Yes, wolves have habits, real ones, that make them particularly fearsome to the European settlers that were living in a forest. Those habits made the settlers feel vulnerable. For example, 
Wolves do live in a pack and work together to take down their prey, but packs are generally groups of four to ten. They are territorial. They will have a territory of 50 to 1,000 square miles where they live and hunt. So, if a farmer moves into that territory, their livestock and pets will be viewed by the pack as prey. And since livestock are large and slow moving, they become an easy target. They are much easier to catch than moose or deer. Wolves and other predators tend to target the old and weak in any herd because they're easier to catch. This would have been very frustrating for early settlers in the Adirondacks. Most were poor and their livestock was the most valuable thing they owned. To lose that animal to a hungry wolf would have been devastating. Wolves have a feast or famine feeding cycle. That means they will take down some big game, that's the feast, when the pack is all fed. But then they can go up to two weeks without food, that's the famine. So when they hunt again, they are very hungry and intent on getting some food. That is probably why people would describe them as ravenous. You would be ravenous too if you hadn't eaten in a long while. The habits of both humans and wolves put the two species at cross purposes. The European settlers wanted to push back the forest and all of the scary predators that inhabited it. The wolves wanted to hunt fat, slow prey and live in prosperity. To help settle society's fear of wolves, many states and counties around the United States started passing wolf bounties. A bounty is a reward that is offered for capturing a specific animal. Bounties have been around for centuries. In North America, bounties were put into place when colonists started settlements here in the 1600s. The fears that wolves would eat their livestock and could go after them and their families, combined with the popular myths that folklore spread about the dangers of wolves, were enough to convince people that bounties were necessary for safety and survival. On April 7, 1815, the state of New York passed an official wolf bounty. The bounty read as follows. Be it enacted by the people of the state of New York, represented in the Senate and Assembly, that every person who shall kill any grown wolf within any county in this state shall be entitled to a state bounty of $20. And for each wolf's whelp, $7.50. A whelp is a young wolf. And back in 1815, $20 was a good chunk of money, especially just for killing a single wolf. This goes to show that the government was serious about controlling the wolf problem and used bounties to encourage citizens to help. Here in the Adirondacks, Many counties also passed bounties in addition to the New York State bounty. And wolves weren't the only animal that the government put a bounty on. Bears, coyotes, panthers, foxes, and bobcats were all animals that had bounties on them in some Adirondack communities. Once a person killed a wolf, they would take it to the Justice of the Peace, which is a government official, and then they would provide proof that they had killed that wolf in that location, and then they would receive their money from the government. When looking at historical documents found in our museum library, we know that the state of New York paid out $75,241.65 in wolf bounties in seven years. 
from 1815 to 1822. With an amount of money that high, and if each wolf was worth $20, then over 3,000 wolves had to have been killed. And these bounties had an effect on the wolf populations in the Adirondacks. It wasn't until about the 1960s when the New York state government stopped paying citizens for predator bounties for animals such as bears, coyotes, and foxes. But what about the wolf? What long-lasting effects did these bounties have on wolves, the most feared of the predator animals? In 1893, it was reported that the last wolf in the Adirondacks had been killed. That is the mount that we have on display here in the museum. The last wolf was killed by Reuben Carey to much fanfare. It was reported in numerous newspapers and magazines. The pelt of this wolf was mounted and put on display. The mount was even taken to the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. You may have heard of this famous international exhibition because it was the first fair ever powered by electricity. We mentioned a similar event, the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York, in episode four of this podcast, Theodore Roosevelt's Ride to the Presidency. You may wonder, how did they know it was the last wolf? Reuben Carey was a lifelong resident of the Adirondacks. He was a well-known guide who had many years of experience fishing, hunting, and trapping. He was an avid outdoorsman from an early age. He was born and raised in the Long Lake and Racket Lake area. Because of the bounty on wolves, their population was decreasing steadily. It is likely that a hunter, like Reuben Carey, with such thorough knowledge of the forest, would know that there were very, very few wolves left in the area. So, when he trapped one, it was probably just a good guess that it was the last one. The Adirondack Mountain region was not the only place in the U.S. that had lost their wolf population. In the 1970s, there were less than 1,000 wild wolves in the lower 48 states. In the beginning of this episode, we called our mount the supposed last wolf. That brings up another interesting question. Is it a wolf? In 1999, a piece of our mount had a DNA test performed on it. It was discovered through this that the animal was actually a wolf-coyote hybrid. That means that one of its parents or grandparents was a wolf and the other was a coyote. Today, the wolf is considered to have been extirpated from New York State. That means it is gone from the area, not extinct in the whole world. The eastern coyote has replaced the wolf as an apex predator of the region. The eastern coyote is much larger than the coyote found in the western states. Many naturalists believe that they are actually a hybrid of coyote and gray wolf. Since our last wolf is part coyote, it makes you wonder if this transition from having a population of wolves to having a large population of coyotes had already begun in the 1880s. Maybe he wasn't the last wolf, but the first of the new coyote-wolf hybrid.
Thank you for joining us for an episode of ADK Extra Credit. This podcast is brought to you by Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake. Our mission is to expand understanding of Adirondack history and the relationship between people and the Adirondack wilderness, fostering informed choices for the future. Listen in again two weeks from now when we'll have a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you want to learn more fun Adirondack history, visit our website, theadkx.org, T-H-E-A-D-K-X dot O-R-G.